It's only fitting that Sylvie Vu's current adventure finds her wandering the back roads of the continental United States, cruising across America's highways in search of her next stop. It's an odyssey that's reminiscent of her career path, from a startup to Apple with a pit stop in financial services in between, before finally landing at the powerhouse that is Dropbox, Sylvie's career has been anything but linear. As an individual, I can get pretty bored easily. And if there was ever a moment that I felt bored, that's when that opportunities came to me. So I love adventure. I love being challenged. I love being busy. And if I can combine all those things together, then why not? It's been quite fun. And even this last experience where I've been working virtually in an RV is just another place that I've done something so new and different that's kept me going. While Dropbox is known for its file-sharing prowess, the company, like Sylvie, has expanded its horizons and its footprint in order to aid distributed workforces. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Sylvie discusses her personal journey and the work she's doing at Dropbox now. And she talks about why Dropbox is proving that remote work is here to stay. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, we have the CIO of Dropbox. Now, Sylvie, I'm going to do my best to pronounce it just as you did. Sylvie Villier, CIO of Dropbox, welcome to the show. Did I good, do a good job? I tried. Did really well. Great effort. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, you know, we're excited to have you. I think a lot of us, you know, we've had other members of Dropbox on the show, and I think everyone knows about Dropbox, but Dropbox recently just announced something pretty cool. Uh, you guys talked about going virtual first the company did, and you are truly living the brand. We understand that you are currently operating as the CIO of Dropbox from an RV. Please tell us about that. That is totally true. It's not a rumor. So around March timeframe, it all coincided. I sold my house and COVID happened and I started working from my RV. And uh, I've been doing that since March and it's been going really well. Um, working remotely when the rest of the company is all remote helps us do a really great job working together from anywhere. So you were, was this plan already in motion prior to the pandemic occurring? Was Dropbox already thinking about doing this or did the pandemic uh, create the catalyst for this decision? The pandemic created the catalyst for the decision long-term, for sure. This is something I want to do now for a while. And with Dropbox's virtual first, this makes it possible for me to do some great work and um, live anywhere I want at the same time. But before the pandemic, we were planning on doing it for maybe two, three months and figure out where we wanted to go live because we downsized our home and we wanted something closer to the city and closer to work. But this this all changed, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so you currently, when you're in your RV, do you move about a lot or do you kind of concentrate to one area during the work week? Definitely move around. Uh, I try to move no more than once a week because, you know, you want to have a good steady connectivity and internet access. And on the weekends, you kind of move around to find a new location if you want. 
But the nice thing is, is you only move when you're really tired of having what you have in your backyard <laughs> and you want a new backyard. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And, you know, so we talked to a lot of CIOs on our show and they, you know, the term is often, you know, you get, do you eat your own dog food or one of my other, uh, one of our other guests said, do you drink your own champagne? So you truly, as the company has moved virtual, you've been drinking your own champagne, implementing technology, policy, procedure to support a virtual first workforce. How has that transition gone for you personally, uh, as both for yourself as the recipient of these services and now the chief, the person who has to choose the services that are going to enable this type of virtual movement for your, for your team? Well, I think like everybody, this has been an evolution, right? Where we've been transitioning to everybody work from home. Everybody's work is working through the pandemic and what that means for them to getting used to being remote and then noticing, you know, you get into the Zoom fatigue and need to move around and consider your health. We, we, we go through all of that. So every single person has. But I think from my, my standpoint, I've also been observing what technology and tools do we need to have or change or include or, in, you know, completely transform so we can continue to have productive teams and we can maintain culture. And that's across all suites of tools, anything from your collaboration, which Dropbox does really, really well. So for me, it's not that complicated because we have great products, but everything else that we use to support uh, the business doesn't have that same experience. So we're thinking about how we bring technology to people in this virtual first, and I'm living and breathing it every day. So I get firsthand experience of what is working and not working. You know, when we when it comes to virtual work, a lot of people talk about, of course, we know virtual meetings is a requirement. There's also chat collaboration or communication tools. What other tools do you find essential that you've had an interesting time evaluating or you've uncovered certain things? I didn't know if you had experienced any other almost categories that have helped help Dropbox move to this virtual first environment. Well, of course, our, our products are a big part of it and, and where we're, we're going with them as part of our, our hub for work. But I think there's other things we need to consider. You know, our physical spaces themselves are, are being transformed into studios. And this is a place where we all go to collaborate and get together as teams, but no longer as individuals or working at a desk. So the technologies that we're enabling in those studios are going to help us create connectivity and connectedness, should I say, between people in studios and the people that are not able to travel or can coordinate the travel with other teams. So the technology is going to start going from the in-studios to the home. So we need to extend like networks into people's home. We're evaluating like virtual whiteboarding capabilities. We we are bringing other technologies that are more fun and uh, interesting. And we have a thing called an unplugged PTO, which is basically if you're taking time off, you know, you're usually, you know, having your phone in front of you, um, checking it out here and there. But with unplugged, we actually enable an automated uh, process that disables your access on your mobile phone. If, so you're not disrupted by that. We're also looking at other like automation capabilities across service management. So we include things like bots and AI that help automate the requests that have gone to the, the desktop support or the finance support or the HR supports, all the support functions we're trying to automate through bots and AI. And then there's a numerous other things we're evaluating, like how do we do live events? You know, getting on Zoom and using 
the different breakout sessions is not what you would call a live event. So we're looking at technologies that can bring more interaction and, and engagement from your audience. So it's really fun to see the fast paced evolution of products as we continue to be remote um, worldwide. So, you know, as you expand the footprint or the needs of the company to support this virtual first environment, have you noticed, for example, strains or any type of I'm assuming the budget requirements on your the internal IT side has expanded significantly, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's still maintained the same and you're still at being asked to develop or find these technologies to fit within the certain budget. I was curious, where are you starting to see, like, I guess, increased costs that you were unexpected? Uh, and, and know how you, um, if you could share any tips of how you've been solving that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I would say to answer your first part of the question, the budgets haven't increased. Um, what we they never do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they they do in in many ways year over year because your initiatives are tied to the company's strategy. So we have a really good model in how we align our work and the initiatives we run. So they don't change too much because the company strategies don't change all the time. But this year we did have investments in areas that we no longer needed, and we were able to repivot them towards the virtual first needs. So because of that, our budgets pretty much stayed flat. No, that's good to hear. What, what things did you, the company, you know, no longer need so much of? And where did you choose to make some interesting investments that you're really excited about? Yeah, of course. Well, our office infrastructure and our actual office spaces were in, in continuous evolution and developing and building them out. So we definitely stopped those, right? Because we pivoted into creating those studios. So we already had some investments there that we could actually leverage. So the dollars that we weren't allocating to building out more of the, I would say, typical desk space, then we actually pivoted to the virtual first initiatives. So for the virtual initiatives, the studios you talked about, I'm trying to picture like more like environments like. I'm trying to understand a little bit what these studios will be for, because you mentioned there are going to be places where people could potentially physically regather. Uh, you mentioned you needed some ways to create that serendipity or that creativity that comes from being interacting with others. You wanted to create potentially places where it's easier to, like you said, throw that virtual live experience or that live experience. Um, I was wondering what entail, because a studio, you know, I'm trying to picture what it is. Tell me what this kind of studios Dropbox is investing in. Well, first thing, we're reimagining it all together, right? What that looks like. And our plans are not all fully finalized and there's still, some things are underway and some things are still being developed. But we want to make the experience as we get together be one that is called, let's say, magical, right? So we're changing the space. So as you engage with it and other people, your experience will be none, none that you've seen before. And it will not be for sitting at a desk. It will be when you're there at an all hands, a team planning, like company planning, or it could be get togethers by sub teams or brainstorming. We're taking this when you need to be working synchronously versus asynchronously. So the technologies that are going to be involved are going to change dramatically because you won't need a conference room for meetings because you're doing that remotely. You won't need a desk to do your own individual solo work because you'll be doing that remotely. But you'll need spaces where it will help you drive innovation and um, collaboration and also maintaining a team culture. And we definitely love our culture. So we'll, we'll definitely see our studios help enable the culture to remain alive while we're virtual first. 
Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like obviously a very exciting time at Dropbox taking on these initiatives. I was curious for our audience, if you could share a little bit, how did you first get started in the fields of technology? Uh, obviously, a CIO's role is, uh, you know, the way I describe it is you're leaned on to have all the answers. How did you get started? Talk a little bit about your early career. What got you into this space? And, uh, you know, we want to definitely walk uh, audience members through to your, you know, now time at Dropbox. Well, you know, I've been I've been in the industry um, in since the 80s. And I have to admit, when when I was in high school about to make a decision of where I wanted to go, technology was not the place I was planning on do- going. I wanted to become a veterinarian. But my math teacher, you know, was my only mentor back in those days, mentor, you know, people you look up to, especially in my neck, neck of the woods didn't exist. But my career has been a lot of firsts and a lot of taking risks and building my own path and also getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, I, I entered a field that um, was not really well known in the 80s. There was, there was very few people graduating there. And I had to create that path, but I went from IBM as a starting my, my job, and then I went to the government, um, and I left the government to go do some consulting work in Paris and, and into remote locations like in Indonesia, and I was doing development there. I was doing database development and showing others how to do object-oriented work, and then I fast forward, you know, went back to Canada and just decided to leave and join the Silicon Valley dream of the startups in 2000. And that was not a great year to come join startups because we came in, went to a startup, and then we had the dot-com issue. You had the dot-com issue, and then, you know, 9-11 changed work demands as well. <laughs> That's a yes. pretty intense couple of years. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was the second time that my husband and I, and our, my daughter, we had sold everything and moved to another country to start something new and, and go for the adventure. So I guess we're kind of the adventurous type. Um, but that took me to Apple, which was also a very first for me. And that's when I left, you know, being an engineer, if you say, to become a first manager, first time manager. And this was at a time when Apple was ascending in their growth and popularity. So the OSX and the iPod and the iTunes which, you know, brought me to management, then, then brought me to um, taking another risk. And I joined financial services company and ran data and then infrastructure. So it was new area, new domain. And that took me to Salesforce running infrastructure there in a cloud company, which then took me to Mozilla as an open source first time. But I ran all of the business technology and everything IT which then took me to Dropbox as a pre-IPO company, which was like at its stage of high growth and high needing to scale. So I joined there. So I got to say, you know, the, there's a lot of firsts and there was never, ever a boring moment. And I've enjoyed it really a lot. So, you know, part of, part of that spirit of what you talked about, getting uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, it sounds like you've took on like early on in your career. Were you always looking to do, um, let's say, location or relocation jumps? I'm trying because like that's right there. The biggest bolt was that biggest bet, right? Most people aren't willing to change their lives. Plus, you know, I know you're in the same career, but changing your whole life to go do that. Was it something you were already looking to do or was it that the opportunity was international and you weren't afraid of going international? So you took it. It was the latter. Correct. I mean, the opportunities were there, took it. And it was also fueled by some adventurous spirit. I could say I, I as an individual, I can get pretty bored easily. And if there was ever a moment that I felt bored, that's when that opportunities came to me. So I love adventure. I love being challenged. I love being busy. 
you know, if I can combine all those things together, then why not? It's been quite fun. And even this last experience where I've been working virtually in an RV is just another place that I've done something so new and different that's kept me like going. When you first told your team members that you were doing this, what did they say or think? <laughs> they the well, my direct team are pretty inspired by it. So every week they ask me to post pictures of things that I've seen or where I've been, and some of them are pretty cool. And then my peers and and the people I work with, they they didn't see a difference. They didn't know where I was, and they didn't see a difference in how I engaged with them. And unless I told them, they wouldn't know. So I think what I'm proving out is even the executive team could be pretty much anywhere in the world and make this work. No, that's awesome. So no one was ever looking over at your, uh, you know, where you used to sit and like, where's Sylvia at? Well, you know, the offices were closed at this point. There Nobody went back. To <laughs> <laughs> I think being virtual first has enabled me to do this. I think being in an office where everybody else is in the office, especially that would have been a little bit more difficult to do. So I want to dive in. Uh, and I agree wholeheartedly. I want to dive into some of these like transformational moments of like your, your career timeline. Um, specifically the one that you touched on, which was when you were at Apple, because now that you mentioned it, you know, 2001, you around that time, the iPod is now starting to get scale. So it used to be Apple was, you know, just a handful of customers, uh, relative yes. to like the global, you know, behemoth it is now. I remember being in college, I'm going to date myself in college, 2001, the first time I saw an iPod and I was like blown away. Cause I was one of those kids that carried, you know, books of CDs, you know, and someone said, you can put all your music in one place. So I'm curious for you, you're at Apple. It's the products are really starting to take foothold and expand the consumer market base in a big way, right? The iPod became ubiquitous. I would say on college campuses, it became like the thing everyone had. What inspired you to try financial services? Because that was a big departure. You know, you went from startup to Apple. You got this hot, you know, hot tech company, hardware company, wherever you want to think of it at the time. What made you choose to change, I guess, fields? Because financial services is often thought of as not as innovative. You know, like, uh, I mean, I'll go back to 2005. It's sometimes to the outside world thought of, you know, not innovative. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends. You know, nowadays there's a lot of innovative financial services and fintech. Oh, yeah, now. I, I agree that back in the days, it wouldn't have been as seen as that. But yes, I guess if I take myself back then, you know, the company and the product was something every employee there was so proud of, right? And you had an identity and you're right, you would walk into a place and you would have a new device and they would say, oh, what, my gosh, what is that? Where is that? So there was a lot of envy around the products and services there. But I felt that, you know, for me, it was more than, you know, the work that the company was doing and like product wise, it was the work I was doing. And I felt I could do more and I felt I could take on like broader roles. And like you said, people at Apple were, were staying steady. Most folks are still there 20 plus years, right? And some 30 years have been in the same company. So the opportunity wasn't as accessible. Let's call it that. I could have continued to do very well in, in the roles that I, were, that I was playing, but I wanted something to challenge me. And I needed that challenge. So that's how I approach financial services. And that's an expansion I did from, I was a pure play Oracle, like database person, and then led all of their data warehouses and all their data platforms. Every single one that exists in the environment was there from mainframe to Microsoft to, you know, Unix, Linux, Windows, everything. It was all there. And then that role that I played there and the work I did there in a year allow me to grow and take on a whole other place, which is infrastructure. And this is an example of 
companies that I was able to join that were able to leapfrog you into other roles. And I learned so much in the financial services. I, I learned a lot about great best practices, great process, regulations, how to operate at scale. And then I could take that on along with my innovation and kind of like adventure into looking at new technology and take it somewhere else. So I learned hugely in financial services and it was really worth my time. Now, and when you took on those new challenges, how much did you already know versus how much did you have to continue to educate yourself on? Like, you know, when you went from director of global information management to the VP of platform engineering, I'm assuming there has to be something you didn't know. How did you, how did you attack what you didn't know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's part of the fun, right? When you're challenged to take on something different and that you've never done before. And up until then, I trusted in myself, right? I, I saw that I was able to take on new things, go into completely different countries and industries and, and be successful at it. So going into infrastructure, you're absolutely right. I knew, I knew enough about servers and, and storage and data centers because I spent a lot of time with the database stuff there. But everything around the network and then adding the desktops and messaging systems and collaboration tools, those were all brand new to me. So what I had to do is, is to ensure I had surrounded myself with teams that you know, were good in the areas that they, that they had and owned, and I could learn through them and they could learn through me and how to change and transform. So you know, took them through a big journey of how we transform these platforms and capabilities and we also then became a very agile organization over the years, which they weren't in the beginning. So I took le lessons and learnings from other areas. I learned about the technology. I really drove myself deep into it. And I think that's a trademark that I have. If I'm taking on something new, I will go really, really deep and I will work as hard until I understand it really well. And then I have people around me that know it even better than me. So how many nights or hours a night are you there studying new information on your own? Well, I don't know if it's hours at night, but I would say, you know, you're always educating yourself and trying to understand what's out there. So there's work and then what you do in learning at conferences and mm -hmm. what you learn at reading books or engaging with startups or building your network and learning what they're doing. So I think it was a constant like interest of mine to understand the area. And if I had an opportunity to do that over a weekend or a night or during the week, I would take it. But yeah, there's definitely long days and long weekends. But when you're doing it because you're enjoying yourself, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, that's the one thing that we've noticed about in the, our opportunity to interview CIO CTOs is like there's this thirst or desire to know more. So it's never really a labor of you know pain. It's not a painful thing to learn new things. It's just the individuals are, it sounds like yourself too, continuously learning all the new technology systems, implications, applications, results, outcomes. You're just reading as much as you can whenever you can. Yep, absolutely. And then building your network, right, of people you trust and learning from them too. So fast forward now to like when you just decided to join Dropbox, because Dropbox is, I want to say it's synonymous with people that you, you know, are in information work, but I don't know. I feel like everyone's already knows about Dropbox, but maybe I'm wrong. What brought you to, what brought you to it? What new and exciting or challenging things did you see in front for the company? And also, I, you know, I'm curious, did you get to meet people that were kind of sharing their roadmap, kind of talking about what else it could be? Because Dropbox famously, when they were in Y Combinator, right, where uh, people from the very beginning thought of oh, that can be replaced with something else. And so I always curious, like what, what draws people to tech companies? Because on the surface, you know, file sharing, file syncing, 
you know, was it exciting anymore? I don't know uh, because Dropbox was so good at it. So I'm curious what made you choose to say, okay, Dropbox is where I want to do next. Well, thank you. I think first and foremost, Dropbox was still very much an attractive company and still is today, but it was one that people looked up to. They were called a a unicorn company and they were in high growth. Um, They were pre-IPO and it was yet one thing I had never done to personally is take a company through IPO. So there was a challenge there that that I was interested in. And I had also spent time in, in SaaS in a cloud company. And being cloud native was also very attractive because you get to deploy the best of breed tools that allow companies to scale and grow and also differentiate as well because you're faster at it. And then there was an opportunity to build that team, that, uh, the, the team of the future or the IT organization of the future that thinks that way. Um, it was a first centralized team. So I had the ability to do that too. But throughout the, the whole process of talking with Dropbox before I joined, what I really appreciated was the culture and the people that I was meeting. And there was never a place that I had been in, in my career until then where you felt like the most important person in the world through the recruiting process. I mean, Dropbox just like takes care of their people and you feel it from day one when you start meeting with individuals. And of course, you know, you meet with the different leaders of the organization, you learn about, you know, the challenges or the opportunities, and then you fall in love with the people and the opportunity. And that was just a very easy decision for me. Gotcha. And what was the first, I guess, exciting project you got to work on there? Well, I mentioned it was pre-IPO, right? So yeah. there was a, a huge amount of, of work around uh, enabling our new ERP, right? We had to build out a new ERP to support that growth, um, making it compliant. And we had tons of work to do around our go-to-market systems. We, we definitely had Salesforce in place, but we needed much more to surround that. And then I was lucky enough also to build the first uh, data management strategy, which was my background, right? You can full circle back to where I came from. Uh, build a whole data platform and business intelligence and governance. So those are the three big pillars that I came in to run. And I was building a team at the same time. So I was always joking around that I said like, hey, feels like I'm flying a propeller plane and dropping packages along the way while I'm building this 747. (laughs) Um, So it was definitely a lot to do with very little time and little people, but I hired the whole team and we were able to deliver this. And, um, you know, here we are today as a very healthy company. There you go. And when it comes to building high performing teams, what did you look for? Or did you just look for people that fit the culture that was already existing at Dropbox? Well, definitely the culture is part of how we recruit people, how we advance people, how we develop people. So the culture was really, really important, but you also need to bring people that have strengths that complement the leadership team or the management team you're building. So I always look for that diversity of thought, the diversity of individuals, and you need people that are very focused on on innovation. Others might be very strong on operations. Some are very strong on analytical needs. And I had to think about that. I kind of engineered the type of people I wanted to complement ourselves, but the culture of Dropbox was always very important. And then during that process, I guess, what did you, of course, you know the results now, but what were some of the surprise, were there any surprises along the way of how people interacted and worked with each other that maybe you didn't expect or anything like that along the way of building these high-performing teams? I, I guess one of the things that I learned 
uh, at Dropbox is that people do come first. Not that I did not know that, uh, but what was surprising is that everyone there was really focused on the people aspect of things. So to me, when you're making a strategic decision or a strategic bet or changing how we're going to operate and the tools we're going to work with, I learned through Dropbox and the people that were there on how people were the most important thing in getting, getting it done. And, and again, it sounds like you, should, you know this, you do know this, but the culture that is built at Dropbox allows every person to have their voice, yet making decisions and move forward. And I think bringing your voice to the table was a thing that you might underestimate in terms of how much you did in the past and how much you do going forward. But I think the balance there was just right. I, I really felt that voices and understanding the past um, really helped me build a better team. No, that's great. You know, I always think about I always think about it as well as uh, what is a software company, but it's people, right? Because you guys are continuous. No one buys, the way to describe it is, no one buys a software for what it can do today. They buy it for what it can do today, tomorrow, and you know, in the next five years potentially. So if it's not the people building it, then what else do you have? And so I always like hearing from leaders how they evaluate, you know, who is the right fit. I'm curious for you, and we've typically heard only one style answer, but I'd love to hear your answer on this. When you find someone who is, let's say, high performing, but bad fit, not terrible fit, just bad fit, like not quite a culture fit, does that make you wary? Do you feel like they need to, like you need to do something about that? Because we hear about in times where there's maybe like a developer who's extremely high performing, but let's just say that their personality causes friction. How do you deal with those events? Well, I think there's no such thing as an individual high performer in my book, right? Because every individual needs to work with others and you need to look at the whole. So the product delivered is as important as how you get it delivered. And if that how is not happening, then to me, the product delivered is not encompassing the best. So they they often wean themselves out because mm. we really want the team to work together. And I, I, I just don't think a single person can can make it happen. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we uh, we try to we try to think that, you know, although we're a much smaller company at Mission compared to to Dropbox, where I worked at com- some software companies previously, we kind of had the same mo of there wasn't the right culture fit. Kind of had to make it so that I guess the culture, like you said, weed them out. To be clear, I think you know they 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 wean themselves out, right? Because if your culture is about respect of others and being inclusive of everybody's ideas. And, and you as an individual don't appreciate those things, then you don't want to be there either. So I think it's it's really about the cultural aspects that, you know, help you wean these things out. So let's talk a little bit about some of the exciting stuff you guys have coming out at Dropbox, because we were told very clearly to not reveal this, but I understand you're launching a new product tomorrow, which this episode won't release till after. So it won't there won't be any conflict there. Talk about this new product that you're launching at Dropbox. Yes. Well, we're super excited. Um, Dropbox has definitely evolved from being a file sync and share company to a place where people store their work and it has become their hub for work. So that in itself is, is different than what most people have known Dropbox for in the past. We are really helping our teams or teams thrive in a virtual first model. So we're going to live our own mission, right? With our own products. And we're going to design a more enlightened way of working. 
So we're making some really bold shifts in our product and we're very intentional on how we're going to do that. So the first thing we are doing is we're going to help teams get organized so they can get time back. So we're eliminating some of the the noise and the clutter around all the different tools and and bring them all together. Um, We're helping them collaborate and stay connected as though they're in the same room. And then we're going to help them stay in flow and keep work moving and help them keep stay, stay secure. Now, that translates to a lot of different things, but we're launching our next iteration of Dropbox Spaces. Uh, we launched that last year around September timeframe. It's a virtual workspace that brings teams together. And we took the best collaboration features from across Dropbox and we incorporated them into Spaces to give users a central place to work. And this allows them to do this from anywhere they are working. We're extending our availability of several features uh, from a business uh, business version to users. And we're doing things like Dropbox passwords, computer backups. Uh, we're creating branded sharing and traffic and insights, which is allowing you to add your company branding to links and gives visibility into the performance or the access to those links. We're expanding our app center with 30 other new apps. Um, We also are launching a handful of enterprise security features with new compliance and certifications to make sure business of all sizes can benefit from Dropbox when they really need it. In the beginning of 2021, we'll be laser focused on getting the most important content of our users into the Dropbox, organize it, and help them collaborate on it with their teams. So we're really excited of how we're transforming and bringing these products together to help people do their best work and do their best work from anywhere. Oh, I look forward to seeing this release. Uh, full transparency, I've used Dropbox, Box, every collaboration tool, I think, out there. And I, I just think it's, as a consumer, this is just from a consumer perspective, I think it's awesome that there continues to be such competition and innovation in this space. Because, of course, as a consumer, we get the best products available, right? It's constant push. I remember the days of Dropbox just being file sync and share, and I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Already now, uh, I look forward to seeing the, the results of that work. When does this go to this? I guess the question is, prior to it going to public, has the, how long has the internal team been using this uh, newer version of Dropbox? Well, different features, different parts of the product at different times, but internally, definitely we're our own adopters of our own uh, products and tools. And initially, I have a a strategic effort that's called Dropbox on Dropbox that helps accelerate the use and uh, the rollout of our products internally. And we create these feedback loops to our product team. So there's another part of our our job that's super exciting. We get to influence uh, the product roadmap and we get to try them out before everybody else does. There you go. And you're a professional virtual worker. So, I mean, this is the, this is, I'm excited to see what you, uh, what you guys ship. Yes, it will be fun telling you, you must, you must try. We will do that. It is now time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Sylvie, this is where we ask you fast questions so that you can answer them so our audience can learn a little bit more about you personally. You ready? I am ready. All right. What is your favorite non-work related hobby? And you can't say travel. Well, RV living. (laughs) (laughs) While while RV living, what's the most interesting place you've stayed? Um, While I was RV living, I would say the U.S. deserts. What was fascinating about the U.S. deserts? Open space. 
and the scenery is just ever changing. It's just beautiful. You can't hear a single th- sound. Do you know how to fix RVs? No, but my husband does. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had any nightmares from the road? Um, the biggest nightmare, believe it or not, is trying to find the place to go dump your waste. I'm thinking of it. Yes, I understand that has to be done. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that, you know, your garbage and all those things. You don't you don't just throw that outside. Right. right. I'm very keen about the environment and I would never do that. So you, you just need to find garbage pans and stuff like that. So that's the kind of thing you look for. <laughs> that makes total sense. How many miles have you now traveled on your, uh, in your since you started in March? Oh, my goodness. I would say over 5,000 miles for sure. And how many states have you visited? We stayed pretty much in the West. So I would say we probably did about 10 states. Of those 10 states, which one was your favorite? Oh, that is a hard one. But I must say that I spent the most time in South Dakota. When you were in South Dakota in your downtime, what do you tend to read for fun? Or do you not read? No, I do read. Um, I guess my last book that I read was a a novel, which I rarely ever read novels, was Where the Crawdads Sing. And uh, but my favorite books are probably more the ones that are self-help or more of the technology or science kind of books. Gotcha. And when the pandemic subsides or when coronavirus is becoming less prevalent, Do you think you'll return to buying a home or do you think you'll do RV for longer? I will do RV for a longer. That good, huh? Yes, that good. Listen, I've I've been following van life on Instagram. I'm I'm very tempted to do so. (laughs) Yes, it's so much fun. Sylvie, last thing. What is the best advice you would give to a first time CIO or technologist that's expiring to be a CIO? Well, there's a lot of advice, I guess, but I think there's a a big lesson learned that I I would ask people to think about um, is to build your network early and nurture it. Uh, I didn't know what a network was until later in my career. I think that's one of the biggest advice. And the other one I would throw out there is to really take yourself, like understand that you can do it and trust yourself and build your own path. Don't wait for others to do it. I love it. And you definitely lived your own advice, taking those challenges internationally. Sylvie, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your unique way you live and work. I thought it was fascinating. Thank you so much for doing that. And I hope you had a good time on the show. And thank you uh, for you know joining us today. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I totally enjoyed this. Awesome. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.